0: If I had to say it in a different way, I would sort of say, don't be scared of not seeing the person at the other on the other side of the line. You're not going to miss much. You maybe might pick up more by actually listening.
1: University of the Free State presents a series of conversations with outstanding alumni from this great institution. Voices from the Free State.
0: My name is Luzon Kutsia. I'm a South African Paralympic athlete and I also work at the University of the Free State. I'm a residence head at the Acacia residence. I was born in Bloemfontein in the Free State. Um, My parents, my dad is a farmer and my mom is an English teacher at a school here. Um, I have a younger sister. She was also born in Bloemfontein. We've lived in Bloemfontein our whole life. I went to school in Pioneer School in a a small town in the Western Cape called Worcester. Uh, It's a school specifically for persons with visual impairment. And then I came back after matric and I started studying at the UFS. I grew up on a farm uh, 20 kilometers outside Bloemfontein. And um, yeah, I was pretty much a farm girl, Barefoot cycling on the gravel roads, on the dirt roads. I had many friends from our neighbors. We we were a, a, like a lot of young kids in that community, similar with similar ages, and I really, I always felt like I fitted in. Um, my parents never really limited me in terms of what they thought I should and shouldn't do and could and can't do. They never set limitations for me. I was cycling at a young age on a BMX bike and I was rollerblading and yeah, I was getting up to all sorts of nonsense on the farm. Um, so I had a very free childhood and, and I was, um, privileged to, you know, grow up in wide open spaces and to be outdoors a lot. I am visually impaired. Um, I was blind since birth. It was due to the fact that both of my parents were carriers of a specific gene, so it was literally like a fluke of nature in a certain sense, if I can put it that way. My, well, um, condition, if I can put it that way, is congenital leber's amurosis, which basically means that um, my retinas didn't develop um, as they should have. Um, and this causes my visual impairment. I definitely think some of the values that my parents instilled into me as a, as a young girl was to, you know, always give it your best in everything that you do, um, to never set, set limits for yourself and to, to, you know, be kind to others and to, to, to try and add value to, to their lives as, 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 as well as we can. Um, obviously, the, the general values like honesty, um, reliability and so forth were were also, you know, instilled in me, and I, I learned a lot from that um, through of that through what I saw in my parents um, and how they lived their lives and how they cared for for others in the community and, and how they treated people around them. Um, I also definitely think my parents instilled in me from a young age to not let my disability limit me at all. Um, I think it was quite a shock. My parents only found out that I was blind six weeks after my birth. Um, And I think at the beginning it was a shock for them, but through them embracing the challenge and through them, you know, taking on the challenge of having a disabled child head on, I also learned that, you know, if you experience something in life that you didn't expect, or, or if you, if there was something that you, you didn't think was going to happen to you to, to embrace the situation and to, to make the best of the situation that you can. I went to pioneer school in my grade Aria, year in the final term of my grade Aria year. And then I was there up to metric. Oh, definitely. I think there's many memories, um, that I can think of that that were great times at school. Um, I was a hostile kid from the age of six and it's very fitting because now I'm, I was also in res at the university. I was in Resmarain and now I'm a resident head. So I think life has kind of prepared me for what I, what my occupation is at the moment. Um, But yeah, we were flippin naughty at school. We, (laughs) was <laughs> it And, um, no, we sneaked out and we, we were, yeah, we were, we, we were naughty in a, sometimes in a badish sense, but always in a, in, in, there was no bad intention. Um, but you know, having late nights giggling in a room with your friends when you're supposed to be sleeping, um, you know, there's there's definitely many fond memories of school, going on on road trips to Ratanga Junction, going to to the Artscape Theatre in Cape Town. So no, they were they were. I had many good times at school. I never really had a a fixed kind of career path that I wanted to be on. My sister. She, for example, knew that she wanted to be a veterinary nurse, or she wanted to work with animals. So she was, she was very, you know, she she kind of knew what she wanted to be. I, I was a bit more. I don't want to use the word flaky, but in the sense that I kind of. I kind of went to where the winds blew me in a certain sense, uh, which like in retrospect is a good thing because if I didn't, I would have never found athletics and, and sport. But yeah, I actually came to the university very confused about what I wanted to study. Um, so I never really had a set passion or career path. I think one of my biggest passions is people and changing and touching the lives of people. And um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that through my sport and through my work. So So, yeah, in the end, things worked out for the best. I think to a certain extent in the sense I'm a professional athlete in the sense that um, I have to train to, you know, perform on a global level. Um, I think for para-athletes, there's often a bit more challenge in terms of finances and sponsorship. And I don't think it's becoming easier with COVID. And I'm not saying COVID is an excuse, but... Um, there's definitely, you know, things aren't the way that they were two or three years ago. So I think for, for para-athletes, we try and do the best we can. Um, but it's not necessarily that I'm a pro athlete in the sense that I can really say I earn a fixed salary from athletics or so. Um, but you ironically have to perform at global level, So in that sense, yes, but, and, and it's a commitment that you have every day. And if you want to win a gold medal, it's your job to train to win a gold medal. So in that sense, yes. Um, I think sponsors and so forth is, is a challenge, especially for, for disabled athletes, but yeah, we do the best we can. My hobbies, um, growing up was not sporty at all. I was a bit of a cultural lady. So I sang in the choir and I played recorder and, I I read a lot and so forth. So I I never used to be very interested in sport and and actually fortunate that the the love for sport started late, um, because that allows me to you know still continue competing with energy and and enjoyment for the sport. It's not, it's not that I did it from a young age and I'm already kind of like you know tired of it. My childhood definitely has has made an impact on who I am today. I think going up and being in a boarding school has taught me a lot of independence and it's taught me to stand on my own two feet and, and, you know, fight for what I want, what I want in life because boarding school is not, it's not the same as living with your parents. You, you have to make your own way to a, to a large extent I also think, um, you know, the fact that my parents never set any limitations, and the fact that I was stimulated in in a proper way as a young child, in the sense that my mom adapted stuff and activities for me in order so, so that I could also participate and and stuff. It really has made a lot of difference, and it, it's helped me with where I am today, and it's helped it helped me with my development as a young child. And so, obviously, it's it's made a a huge impact. To what I am today and, and what I what I can achieve and how I feel about about life in general today. When I made the choice to come to the UFS, it was kind of there was two options in my mind. I guess I could have had more, but the two the two obvious options were come back home and be closer to the family, um, or go to Stellenbosch where everyone was going that was was in school with me um but at that stage my parents really asked me to come back home and the second thing is I wanted to change from from friends and people who I used to you know see um and I wanted to kind of broaden my horizon so that is what ultimately made me decide to come to the university of the free state and study here um and I'm really really glad that I did um I think if I went to Stellenbosch I would have only drank wine and and socialized fortunately here I became a professional athlete corporate and marketing communication um i thought at that stage it was the it was an obvious choice for me in the sense that it would give me a lot of career opportunities in the future um going into corporate and and so yeah that's why i actually studied it i wanted to study dietetics um but i didn't have the right subjects um and we were a bit uncertain as to how i would do in a medical program um, and the university was a bit hesitant so I that's why I studied corporate and marketing communication. Um, and then I did a master's degree in, um, a, in a master's program that the Institute for Reconciliation and Social cohesion offered. Um, it was run through the Faculty of theology but it was in social cohesion and reconciliation studies and my specific focus was on disability in higher education. Um, and and the level of comfort that lecturers experience with regards to having students with disabilities in their classes. So it was very interesting. So I, what I did was in my master's degree, I did a, I, I developed a framework on how you could assess your level of comfort. There's a lady called Julia Christiva. Um She's a Fran, a French. Um, Author and she wrote a few articles on on how she with she has a disabled son and she, how, how her experiences of non-disabled persons interacting with disabled persons like she kind of like thought about it and theorized it about it in a like a so so psycho- psychoanalytic way um, and I took some of her thoughts and I I created a framework and then I I developed a questionnaire that that, that we then asked lecturers to see. Um, how they felt and, and a few things I learned was um, that your level of comfort often comes from the, the individual itself so how you how you as a disabled student makes a lecturer feel by you know open communication and all those things and, and making somebody understand exactly what your needs are because they're not part of your world so they don't necessarily know what you're going through and once you voice that to them it makes quite a big difference in um, to, to a lecturer. Um, and I definitely also learned, you know, that everybody has some level of discomfort and people don't like to, to talk about it, but, um, I think it's, it's good. Um, it's good for disabled people as well to, to, you know, to, to talk about that level of discomfort, because I think then we can, you know, go forward into, into helping and, and making people understand our world better. Um, and I also the last thing that I'll just say that I learned was, um, that there's, there's still a lot of gap with regards to creating awareness. Um, and I think that'll also help in, you know, making the level of comfort better. My university experience, yeah, I think it was quite interesting, actually. Um, I think you miss a lot of the, the university experience when you do intense sport, because your, your nights are early, your mornings are early. So you kind of, you know, and you don't go out drinking and, and partying every weekend because, you know, there's races and stuff that you compete in. So I think in that sense, I tried to maintain a, a, a bit of a balance between socializing. So I definitely also did socialize and, and party, but, um, you know, between that, academics and sport. And in that sense, I think my university experience was, I want to use the word controlled in the sense that I tried to give almost equal amounts of attention to to three aspects of life, which was sport, academics, and socializing. So I never was this wild party animal. You know, I could go to a brown on a Saturday but be home at 10. I was that kind of girl. Um, So for me – but I'm not not, – I don't regret it. I think it was a it was a good experience for me. And I think I kind of had a bit of a wild face in school. So I think when I was here, I was okay with, you know, being that girl going home at 10 on a Saturday night. So, um, no, I'm I'm very happy with how I experienced university. I, I definitely think going to res was a good idea because uh, I made a lot of friends at res. Um, so, I, yeah, no, I'm very happy with how my university experience went. I tried to be pretty involved um, as far as humanly possible. So I did SAR in my first year. That's not an organization, but it was something that I did. I did SAR on stage door. Um, I wanted to do SAR in my second year, but it was too big of a commitment with sport. Um, I also, I was on the SRC in 2014 and 2015. Um, and I also was part of the, what we call Roto Act. So that's the Rotarian, um, that's the Rotary Society student body. Um, so a girl that I knew when I was in the SRC, she started it and I was involved with, with that. Um, so yeah, I, I was involved, but not, uh, yeah, I wasn't like the super active society person, but I tried to be involved as far as I could. And I think the year on the SRC, I think that makes up. Yo, it was hectic. <laughs> I really experienced Re's life in a positive way. I, I definitely would say. I um, I remember um, I messaged my RC first years like before I went to campus, and I asked her, "Listen, did anybody tell you that I'm disabled? That, that I'm blind?" And she was like, "Oh no, they didn't." But we'll wing it when you get here. And she was fortunately an occupational therapy student, so she had some background. Um, but I think they were all, you know, pretty much thrown into the deep end at first. But I have to say, I really expo- experienced um, raise really in a positive manner in the sense that, um, yeah, the goals were very welcoming. Um, and once again, you know, open communication was good. I had a chat with the first years telling them, Yeah, explaining to them who I am and and what my challenges were. And then they could also, you know, I I obviously gave them the opportunity to ask me questions if they wanted to. And there was a few people who had questions for me. And then we did a similar thing in the house meeting, one of the first house meetings. And after that, you know, I was fine. I was part of the community. I remember um, the first day when I arrived, I said, because it was huge. Like my high school was 80 people. And in Rosmarain, we were 239 students. So it, like, it was like three times the size, four times the size of my high school. And I remember the first day I said to my mom, I'm never going to find like anything in this res. But no, after a day or two, I was fine. I was walking around by myself, going, doing my laundry. So no, I was, yeah, my, my experience of hostel life was really, really a positive. I made a lot of friends at the at university. Uh, yeah, I still, you know, have friends physio friends and stuff from 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 rays um who i obviously I try and see as often as I can. Some of them are still in bloom. Some of them are not anymore. Um, so, yeah, I definitely did. But I think also a lot of university um, relationships that I formed in my university times was was relationships through, through running. And those were not necessarily always students. Some of them were students, and, and with them I still have contact. But others were kind of like external relationships because my training group was a very big part of – my university journey, although they weren't at the university. So but I, I definitely forged strong bonds with, with, with people at university. We're fortunate enough to, you know, be able to do that in res. So I graduated with my first degree, I'm trying to think now, at the in twenty fourteen. So twenty fifteen I, I did my honors. Um, but I was, you know, a bit uncertain on how things were gonna go in terms of what was going to happen to me. I think everybody goes through that phase in, in life. Um, and then I actually, um, when I started doing my master's, I also applied for a research assistant job at the Institute for Reconciliation and Social Justice. So I did that. And, and then I also applied for a part-time day residence head, which I was very fortunate enough to get. So I was the day residence head of Arista Ladies' Residence. And I obviously think, you know, having bonds at Student Affairs and and being on the SRC also helped, you know, forge good relationships with people at Student Affairs. And that allowed me to to get that job uh, because I knew my work ethic um, and then in 2018 there was a full-time residency position available and I applied and I was yeah fortunate enough to get that. So I've actually like my career journey also started at the Uni- University of the Free State. They've really been very good to me. Um and what I love about about my current job is that it also allows me to be an athlete and I can I can shuffle my stuff around you know, I, I can do residence head stuff and athletic stuff and I, I can find time for both, which is really great. This is such a big part of who I am now because I started in 2012 when I was in my first year at university and in, my, in 2013, I, I competed for the first time on the international stage. And um, yeah, I've done a few, I think I've done four or five world championships and two Paralympic Games. And it's really such a privilege to be able to do that with a full-time job. Um, because a lot of athletes don't get to do that. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, that's how my journey started as a, as a, as an employee. Um, and then also my athletic journey has been allowed to continue, which is really great. So my athletic journey actually started very randomly. I was sitting in a first year's meeting. Um, And it was running late Like first year's meetings usually do It was 2.12 And I was tired um, And I wanted to go to bed And um, so my RC Sports at that time Was looking for sign-ups For um, the first year's athletics And things were going quite slow And I decided, okay, let me just fill the list And and volunteer to do the 100 meters And then my whole plan of going to bed Actually backfired Because then she said to me I'll write up your name But after the meeting You need to come and explain to me How this is going to work well then, um, yeah. So that's that's how it, it um, that meeting panned out, and then I actually ran first years athletics. Um, and my RC sports is really like she found it very cool, and then she got me some coaching. So then I I was coached at the UFS for a bit, and then I moved to a different coach who was more into the longer distances. Um, yeah, and, and that's actually how it started. So it was actually very random. And then my my coach at that time said to me what is the 5,000 meter world record for T11, which is totally blind female athletes. And I said to him what it was. And he said to me, give me four years. So in 2016, you'll break it. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, Let's, yeah. And then, then that's how it started. So then I went to my first national championships in 2013 in Pretoria. And that's where I qualified for my first world champs. Paralympic sport is divided into different categories, which are classes, um, and those classes represent different disabilities. So if I can use my class, and so a class as an example, so the visual impairment classes are T11, T12, and T13. The T stands for track, and then the number indicates the severity of the visual impairment. So T11, so the lower the the number, the more severe the the impairment is so in my case t11 is total visual impairment and then t12s are people who can see enough to see the lanes on the track so they can sort of stay within a lane and then t13s are are um they can see even more even better so t11s because i'm totally visually impaired i run with a guide So I have a guide runner. So I'm tethered to a guide runner through a band with handles, a handle on each side. Um, And then T12s, they have the option of using – a tether and a guide or they don't have to. And a T12 athlete and a guide don't have to be tethered. So the guide can just run alongside the athlete. And then T13s can see well enough that they're not allowed to use a guide runner as well. So so I basically, athletics is in a certain sense a team sport for me because I compete with somebody the whole time. It's obviously definitely a big honor for me that, you know, there's – there's a few strong athletes and, um, also, you know, some of our staff members who were old athletes, um, and are now retired, you know, that's also very inspirational. So it's inspirational being around, you know, the kind of people that we are, I mean, our netball team usually does quite well. Um, we had a few hockey players at the Olympics this year. Um, then there's people like Wade. So, so it's, it's really, um, it's really inspirational to to share the space with with these people. Um, I definitely draw some some motivation and inspiration from that, and from definitely also people like the Abia who, who was an athlete in his own days, Tani Sarina, Kronia. So they were also you know big athletes during during their tenure as as um, you know, as athletes. So so I also definitely draw inspiration from them as well. I think it uh, being a medalist, I, I was actually going to stop after Tokyo. And then I've decided now to continue up to Paris 2024. Um, so I definitely think, you know, winning a medal, it's very nice. So it's it's a motivation to continue. Um, but I definitely think there's also added pressure in the sense that, you know, now people are not going to, you don't you can't go into a race as an underdog anymore. You're going to a race you know knowing that you are now one of the people people are going to watch so so it's quite scary in a certain sense in in that sense um but it it definitely adds some motivation and and i actually can't wait for world champs which is next year also in japan but i can't wait to go and compete again so yeah it's it's kind of it cuts both ways rio was obviously um it was, it was a bit of a disappointment, but I think for me, the goal was always Tokyo. Um, competing for three years and then going to a Paralympic Games is really a bonus um, um, because other people work, you know, a lifetime for that. And I realized in, in Rio that I wasn't, you know, at top form yet. So so Rio was a disappointment, but um, afterwards I, of you know, obviously after going through all the emotions, I realized that I was going to have to sort of spin this into a positive situation so I decided that I can either now you know go sit down and be down in the dumps but the other thing that I could always do is you know Mm -hmm. use it as an opportunity to teach other people about para athletics and para sport So, so what we then did well what I decided is that I could use this as an opportunity to educate the South African public about the fact that there are rules in Paralympic sport and that there are things that you can and can't do and and that's how I decided to use Rio because I think it was important for me to also, you know, make it a teaching moment then if if it wasn't anything else. I definitely think we are stronger together. Um, I think collaboration, it, it makes you a much happier person because if you collaborate, you, you can work with people more easily. You can take hands and you can work towards achieving a common goal. Collaboration, I think, is also something that you know you can use as a kind of a teaching moment where you can also learn about others through collaborating. Um, I I definitely stand strong behind the value of collaboration. I think it's very important that we we as a nation and we as 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 sports teams and anybody you know collaborates. And I think you know there's nothing wrong with meeting somebody halfway and collaborating because it just makes both 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 people's lives and jobs easier. So I think it's a very important value. I think if I had to quantify a biggest success for me personally it would be to have given other people hope um, to have been able to to teach other people that there's no limit to what you really can achieve. Obviously, you know there's there's other things like you know winning a medal is obviously a, a measure of success. But that is, I think, those are selfish successes that doesn't really it's successful for me. But I think you can't measure your success on what's successful for you. I think you should measure your success on how how it has affected other people. Um, and being an athlete has taught me a lot of values like self-discipline and the things for more. you know, and that that has that I, I can now teach students and I can I can talk about to corporates and I can talk about to learners at schools. and I think that's how you measure your success. So I, I would say touching the lives of others. So next year, I'm gonna start in a journey towards completing an MBA. So I'm gonna start with that next year, um, and then also Paris 2024 for um, a sub three hour marathon and a world record in the, the one thousand five. Um, so that'll be two things that I want to achieve in the next three years. Something that I've seen in most courses. Um, is kind of a a sense for community and a sense for, you know, no matter what the other person's challenges are, you try and help them in achieving what they need to achieve throughout, throughout however you can. Um, and I think our sense for community, we can definitely use to, to build a bigger and better society, whether you are sitting in the UK or whether you are sitting in South Africa, you can play your part in, you know, touching lives in a kind of a Kufsi way. I definitely think it's important as alumni to be involved and, and I can actually use that in my own story. Um, One of my guides is a Kufsi alumni. So I think in that sense, you know he has also you know done a lot to to plow back into into the community because he, with him, uh, you know helping me achieve success and being successful alongside me, he's also allowed us to create a platform where we can speak to communities and 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 motivate. and and um I think uh, what I also love about Kofsi alumni is we're not afraid to get involved. Um, I was contacted recently by the ladies. There's a, they wanted to have a Nakosia reunion and I wasn't even in, in this residence, but they like involved me in the arrangements. And then unfortunately they were denied by the university. So now they're just moving the reunion off the university grounds. But um in that sense, you know, what I what I experienced from a lot of Kufsi alumni is we're not scared to get involved and, and we active members of society and community, and that, I love that because I think active citizenship is a very important part of life. Like I mentioned earlier, um, there's really, for me, a sense of community at, at the UFS and in the Free State, and and that is obviously, you know, it's an important part for me of my journey. Um, you know also being somebody who has needed a bit of extra help at university and who's 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 been allowed to to have the privilege of benefiting from that community um it it also has really touched my life and and that stretches from having different people around with me who's been involved in the free state and who is part of the free state as 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 to even you know ladies in residence who I went to class with and and who assisted me on campus and, and who, you know, have just accepted me in the, the community. So I think um, that is really like, you know, that stands out for me from people who, who either come to the university of free state or, or who is part of the free state in general. My advice to students going forward would be don't be scared to work hard. Um, don't be scared to start at the bottom um because I think our youth and our society at this point, you know, there's kind of like a thing you want to start at the top. But starting at the top is not it's it's most of the time it's not viable. Um don't be scared to work hard and start at the bottom and and work your way up. Um yeah, and just just don't put any limits on yourself. If I really had to think of, of a, a practical thing it would be to you know, when you set goals for yourself in life, set timelines with your goals and work towards achieving those goals. That's how I, I've done what I've done and not that what I've done is so big, but um, that's how I've done what I've done. I've set myself goals and I've set myself deadlines for those goals and that's allowed me to achieve those goals and that energizes you to do more. I have never been able to see so for me, there's always, like, just a voice to a name. And I think to a certain sense, it it allows you to not judge somebody necessarily. Um, and it, it allows you to get to know the essence of the person because you're not distracted through what you can see, you know, and how that person, you, you, what you can see about that person. So I think I, I, don't re- I can't really say... I think it's, it's helped me to, to, um, be, you know, less judgmental. And I think it's, it's, it's helped me to, to, you know, really get to focus on getting to know the essence of the person, but I can't really see, or I can't really say that i I feel that I'm missing out because it's something that I've never done in a different way. Yeah. I think if I had to say it in a different way, I would sort of say, don't be scared of not seeing the person at the other on the other side of the line. You're not going to miss much. You maybe might pick up more by actually listening.
1: Voices from the Free State is produced and directed by Francois van Skalvelik and Keenan Carlser. Post-production is provided by the UFS Alumni Office and production support by Adrian Hall. This podcast is produced for the UFS International Alumni Programme. For further information regarding this series or to propose other alumni guests, please email us at alumnipodcasts at ufs.ac.za. Any views and opinions expressed in this recording are those of the individual guests and should not be attributed to the University of the Free State.